This is Stimulus. Welcome back, my friends. Rob Orman here, trying out a new intro there, a little spicier, more to the point than we've had over the past year and a half. And if you're new to the show, you're wondering what what the heck is going on here. On Stimulus, we deconstruct ideas and strategies to live and work with intent. Bottom line, don't just suck it up. Think differently. Subscribe in any podcatcher out there and check out our website, stimuluspodcast.com. Our guest today is stimulus regular Dr. Josh Russell, who you may remember from our episodes on skill decay and how to effectively take a break. That one, one of my personal favorites. Josh is an emergency physician. He is a palliative care and hospice physician, also editor-in-chief of the Journal of Urgent Care Medicine, and just one of my favorite people. The topic for our conversation on this episode of Stimulus is roughly, roughly, what's the best time and way to listen to a podcast? I say roughly because that's kind of how it started, but we go off on a lot of tangents. And the reason that I'm putting this one out now is that recent research has come out on this topic that I think adds quite a bit to the conversation. And I'm going to break that down and also some other research at the end of the show. So first will be the conversation, and then I'm going to go through some studies. Before that, however, this episode of Stimulus is in support of I am ALS. Many of you have been touched by ALS in one way or another. My neighbor died of ALS, had family members, family friends who have died with ALS. Maybe you have a family member or friend who has or had it. If you're in healthcare, you've likely cared for patients with ALS. You yourself may have it. People often refer to ALS as a rare disease, which is not really so. The lifetime risk of ALS is reported to be around one in 300. Let that sink in for a moment. I mean, it sounds like a completely preposterous statistic. Well, you think, well, there's not millions of people with this disease at any one time. Well, yes, because the disease span is so short because the mortality comes so rapidly. And I discovered I am ALS when I saw a Twitter post from Brian Wallach. He was former counsel for the Obama White House, assistant U.S. attorney, And he and his wife founded I Am ALS shortly after his diagnosis at 37. To me, he is just incredibly inspirational. And actually, if you're looking for a little dose of daily inspiration, look him up, follow him on Twitter. You'll be the better for it. I Am ALS supports research. It supports legislation to fast-track therapies and provides critical resources to patients and caregivers. ALS is relentless, and so are they. You know, since Lou Gehrig was diagnosed with ALS... 80 years ago, available treatments have extended life about three months. Compare that to cancer or HIV. The question is no longer if we'll find cures for ALS, but when. This is a big nut to crack, but every little bit makes a difference. We will match donations to IMALS up to $5,000. There is a link to the stimulus IMALS donation page in the show notes. And when you donate through that, that lets us track the donations so that we can then match them. Check it out. Check them out. Now, here we go. Our conversation with physician, polymath, wunderkind, and raconteur, Dr. Josh Russell. Speaking of podcasts, I want to do a podcast about podcasts, about how we listen to podcasts. We've been talking about this a bit lately, and I know this is something that 
you've been thinking of. I had actually never really given it much thought of how I did it. I just kind of tried to fit it in here and there. But where are you on this? Yeah, this is kind of the definition of a meta topic, right? It just it's just meta as a guest meta, talking about podcasts, po- podcasts on a podcast about podcasts. But to me, so podcasts have obviously exploded in popularity over the last decade or so, uh, and you've been podcasting and kind of seen the transition. But it's something that is relatively new to our existence, and the educational podcasts really have grown tremendously. So I found myself asking as I was driving home from a shift and was listening to a an educational podcast, one of your podcasts, and I was really just finding that the information was not getting absorbed, and it was mm-hmm. more or less that I was hearing noise but not absorbing what was happening. And I was asking myself, why is this so much more difficult? And when should I be listening to podcasts? Because I'm clearly not getting much out of this at this moment. It's interesting. You talk about you were driving home from a shift. Right. I feel like my brain is full when I'm driving. I've tried getting educated on the way home. There's, I think for me, there's like two types of podcasts. There's entertainment and then there's education. And the education for me and for you, I'd imagine, are things that will apply directly to medical practice. And it's either clinical medicine or strategies on how to practice better. And it, it might be something like, you know, like, like this show or like the Tim Ferriss show where they're giving specific strategies versus, you know, WTF or the Men in Blazers or even Fresh Air or something that's like, oh, I can just kind of listen to this and not really have to retain the information. I find when I'm on my way to work, I really, really absorb it because I then directly apply it. My brain is fresh. I'm not task saturated yet. I still have all my neurotransmitters. And once I get there, I'm immediately going to apply it in some way and then anchor it. And when I come home, I'm listening to something that's just kind of entertaining and I don't really have to pay that much attention to. Maybe I'll laugh about it. It's usually the Men in Blazers podcast. It's about soccer and it's kind of an esoteric one. And driving is the time when I pretty much listen to all podcasts. I used to try it at other times. I used to try it working out. I used to even do it riding a bike. I know you shouldn't do that when you're doing that. Um, Or even doing stuff around the house. But I felt like I actually couldn't pay attention to the activities I was doing and listen to podcasts, even if it was one that didn't require a lot of attention. So I feel like I can put them in an interstitial space, but not such an interstitial space that I need to be doing or be mindful of another activity like driving, you know, you need to be mindful and paying attention, but uh, that's where I've put them. So a lot in that to unpack, but the, the term that you use interstitial space is the one that I like to think of as well, because it really is a apt analogy. These are the times in life, I guess, to define this because it's a term that we use, but it's probably not broadly uh, known in terms of what we mean by that. But these are the times in life when, like you said, you're driving, you're doing things around the house. If someone asks you- It's when life happens, the interstitial. If if someone asks you what you're doing, you might say you're listening to a podcast, but you're also saying that, oh, I'm grocery shopping or I'm watching my kid's soccer game, whatever the case may be. And- depending on the amount of attention that you have to give to the task at hand, what you're actually doing, if you want to say, quote unquote, doing, then that's going to delineate how much residual attention you have for the podcast. And there are some activities like driving, if you're driving on a a highway, there's no traffic, that you really require almost no attention Mm -hmm. to be spent on the activity at hand. 
Great point. City driving? Right. Couldn't do it. Couldn't, I can't listen to a podcast. I mean, it's like, I can look at a map, barely. Yeah. But I hadn't even thought of that, the yeah. different types of driving. Sure. I'm, so we have a limited amount of attention and that amount of attention is relatively fixed, but it does depreciate as the day goes on and as our energy wanes. And this is something that is referred to by psychologists as our working memory. And that's actually the reason why phone numbers are the d- number of digits they are is because we can hold about seven things in our working memory oh, you, at a time. Figure that out beforehand before making the phone numbers? I've, I've read that. Whether or not that's 100% <laughs> accurate, I don't know. But you can use that as a mnemonic, at least, or think about how many things that you can hold in your mind at a time. And your working memory is kind of like the RAM of your brain. So your computer will become kind of bogged down and slow down when it's overloaded. And mm-hmm. that same thing happens to our brains when we are cognitively overloaded. That's the term that is used to apply when our working memories are saturated. So if our working memory is handling one thing, which is stay between the two lines and there's no cars around you. There's no, uh, you know, worry about avalanches or rock falls or animals in the road. You're just driving down the highway. Then you have a fair amount of residual attention that you can Mm -hmm. spend on a podcast. If you're watching for pedestrians and bicyclists and other cars and there's bright lights, all that kind of stuff in a city environment, especially it's an environment that you're not familiar with, then your residual attention is obviously going to be much less. I had never heard that term residual attention. It makes so much sense. It's like when you're really engrossed in an activity and one of your kids needs your attention, you have two choices. One, you can get irritated (laughs) or two is you need to stop what you're doing and give them your full attention because you have no residual attention because they require a lot of attention and this activity is requiring a lot of attention. You can't do both. And you have to task switch. Got a task switch. Oh yeah. But Taking all of this into account, I mean, you've obviously thought about this a lot with residual attention and that your attention wanes as the day goes on. How are you consuming a podcast? So I will say to start that I'm always feeling overwhelmed by the number of podcasts that I want to listen to versus the amount of attention, more attention really than time, but both attention and time that I have to give to podcasts. So I'm always trying to to cram them into interstitial spaces of life, but I find that my attention and vigilance, really, mental ability to focus is highest in the morning. And uh, this understanding really is transformed after uh, this book that I've recently read, When by Daniel Pink, mm-hmm. where he addresses the idea of chronotypes. And a chronotype is simply just, are you a morning person or an evening person in its simplest terms? But everybody, when- That's, they, a, that's a real thing. That's a real thing, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so s- s- it turns out most emergency physicians just are have gravitated to that because they are slightly more night owls than they are morning people. And the people that are- Definitely early birds have weeded themselves out usually through med school, realizing that the shift work and and night shifts and things like that are not going to be tolerable. But whatever chronotype you are, when you first wake up, that's when your ability to focus and vigilance is the best. So that is the time when it makes the most sense to devote your attention to something that involves you integrating new information, processing data or or uh, information that's being thrown at you by a lecture, like really didactic is, I guess, the best word to describe it. And as your ability to focus wanes, it becomes less and less productive to listen to informational podcasts. It's really neat to hear you describe that, because when I think about you know, doing creative work, if I'm writing a podcast or editing or doing voiceover, I have to do that in the morning. 
if I try to do it in the late afternoon or in the evening, I can't focus. I can't synthesize because I've got four or five articles open. I'm writing, I'm, I'm recording, and it's all, it, it's, it's a lot of things struggling. It's like, it's like Tom Cruise and Minority Report, you know, it's kind of pulling all these things in. So that's the only time I can really do deep work. And then in the evening, if I just need to read something or proof something, that's when I'll do that. Or I find that that's the, the highest yield of, of, of that time. Because in the morning, I feel like, oh, I'm kind of wasting energy if I do that, I would say, you know, like shallow work or something I don't need full attention or multi-levels of attention for. Yeah. So the way that we can be most productive is kind of what you're alluding to that you've kind of figured out on your own is using our brain for tasks that are appropriate for the state that it's in. And when we first wake at presuming we you know we got a good night's sleep, the vigilance that we have is very helpful for detail oriented tasks where we have to really focus and pay attention. Conversely, though, we're not so great at coming up with creative and innovative solutions to problems. And they've actually looked at people in the early part of the day, their waking day, and how good they are at solving two types of problems, creative problems versus problems that are like the typical math problem you think of from the SAT word problems. And those latter problems that require a lot of focus, people do better earlier in the day when their vigilance is higher, when their ability to focus is higher. And after doing some push-ups. And after doing like, right? yeah, with your breath held, that's yeah, a little especially. Bit, a little bit. Uh, we were doing some Wim Hof breath hold push-ups before this, but but like, you know, a little physical activity mm -hmm. will do better on those things too. Sure, that's true. Immediately after uh, uh, resistance and interval training, your cognitive performance is boosted. And similarly, if you find that you're in the middle of the day, they found that napping and other types of taking breaks helps to restore your vigilance. So it's not that your vigilance wanes and can't be slightly repleted. You know, you can't drive a high performance car indefinitely without making pit stops. And our brain's kind of the same way. We need these pit stops to boost our vigilance, but it's never as high as it is first thing when we're waking up in the morning. And then conversely though, towards the end of the day, we do better in the studies where they looked at subjects that are trying to solve creative problems, mm -hmm. where you're trying to see some sort of solution that is not necessarily immediately apparent. It's not keeping track of a bunch of people and how much money they're spending and how much does this add up to to buy a certain product, but it's you know thinking outside the box to find the solution. And so it's not that that time in the evening is, is worthless, it's just less valuable and less strategically used if you're trying to solve really detail-oriented problems when your brain is not in the mode to solve those problems. Okay, so we're bringing it back now to when should I listen to a podcast? Absolutely. <laughs> When's, what's the answer? We've got two minutes left on this thing. So the, the short answer is that it depends on the type of podcast. But if you okay. want to learn something, it's best to listen when your focus ability is the highest. Okay. Conversely, if you're not trying to learn and you're just interested in integrating ideas, a conversational entertainment podcast is great. Also, I will say that not every interstitial moment needs to be occupied by a podcast. So <laughs> sure. I think in this era where there's too many things going on and everyone's trying to cram something or multiple things into every moment, the value of a quiet moment while you're sitting alone has been kind of lost among our yes. culture. And a lot of the uh, insights that we have do not come from pouring over pros and cons lists, but it comes from these quiet moments when we're actually not focused that a brilliant insight will pop into our heads. And there's all kinds of examples from history. Thomas Edison invented the concept for the modern filament while he was, at least, I don't know if this is a fully true story, but while he was sitting at his desk late at night, allegedly kind of 
just rubbing some carbon filament between his fingers and had this aha epiphany that, oh, if we coat the filament in carbon, maybe it will last longer. And Go for a walk and leave your phone at home. <laughs> yes. Even though, even though this is a podcast studio. Yes. Podcasts are not all that. Yeah. Enjoy the silence. Enjoy the solitude. Here's the final question. As we've got 30 seconds left. What do you think? A lot of people listen to podcasts at 2x. I think my brother listens to it at 3x. I can't, I cannot process that. that. What's your thought on that? So I think it depends on how your focus is at the moment. So if you can focus well, then listening at 2x is a great use of time. And that's pretty efficient. But if you're listening to one of your podcasts and you're driving home from a shift right now, then you're probably not going to absorb it at 1x and 2x is just really just going to add noise and frustration to your drive home. Nightmares about chipmunks. Yeah. So <laughs> I would say use whatever speed seems to be absorbable for you in your current state of mind, but certainly greater than 1x is not a great idea if you're not in a focused state of mind. Much of this conversation has focused on time and listening back through this, being deliberate about when a podcast is consumed doesn't get a lot of thought. Although maybe now we'll give it a little bit more, maybe. And we're going to get into some research on podcast listening and also actually also some research on listening to nothing at all. But I first want to share a few things about how I do podcast listening. So if I can, and I'm listening to something beyond just a you know, pure entertainment show, I try to listen with a partner. I found it really gratifying. For example, my wife and I will listen to particular podcasts on road trips or whatever, long drives, and we stop and discuss points that come up. Either one of us will hit pause. Maybe there's a great turn of phrase or particular point of emphasis has come up. Pause, chat about it, and then go on. In education theory, you could think of that as spaced repetition, but you know, it's also just fun to share your thoughts. And speaking of educational podcasts, and this show would be an example of one in some ways. If there are things that come up in a show that I really want to lock in, I more often than not will read the show notes afterwards, or sometimes during, if I'm not driving, for repetitive learning, or even just to get into the linked references. And speaking of show notes, when I'm deciding what podcast to listen to, and I'll be honest, there's some podcasts I just love whatever they put out and I'll listen to them all. But for most, I'll look at the podcatcher summary, okay, but more specifically at the time-stamped topics to see if it's interesting. I mean, the, the title doesn't always reveal the introductory paragraph, a little bit more so, but, you know, and I look through the show notes and look through the timestamps, actually, I definitely skip around to things that I want to hear about, don't necessarily listen to the whole show, especially if it's a really long one, you know, over an hour, probably not going to get all the content. And I talked about this a little bit with Josh, the to and from work strategy. I used it for years on the way to work. I'd listen to an educational podcast, specifically an emergency medicine podcast, on the way to work and pause at the points of emphasis. I'd be by myself, so I'd just pause and think about what they said. Maybe sometimes I'd go back 15, 30 seconds and just hear it again, lock it in. How am I going to apply this? And then when I got to work, if there was time, I would teach that material to the staff, the nurses, sometimes the other docs, if they were interested, often weren't, but sometimes they were. And if I really had time, I would take the team into the recess bay, go to the whiteboard and do a chalk talk on what I just learned. And for me, that really baked it in because I had to think not only of, all right, what am I learning from this material? 
but how am I going to teach it in a cogent, understandable, and memorable way? For example, I was once listening to Scott Weingart talking about aortic dissection and how you needed to lower the pressure or the force of the blood and you needed to lower the speed of the heart rate. Force and speed, force and speed. It made me think about a boxer punching on a speed bag. Slow that down. And also decrease the volume. And for me, that really locked in what needed to happen with that particular disease, took that idea, taught it to the staff. And then actually like within the next 24 hours, we were applying that with medication and adjusting our medications with that idea in mind. So anyway, that's just some random ideas on how I consume these things and share it, et cetera. But most people, and you know what? I include myself here, digest podcasts as a plus activity. It's doing something else plus listening. Rarely is it a time dedicated solely to listening. And actually, we're going to get more to that in a few moments. But first, to some new data published online, April 28th, 2021, Annals of Emergency Medicine, an article titled Maximizing the Morning Commute, a randomized trial assessing the effect of driving on podcast knowledge acquisition and retention. The authors of this study start out by presenting two competing theories on this type of knowledge acquisition. So listening to an audio podcast. One is the limited capacity model of motivated mediated message processing theory. Let's just call it limited capacity theory. Limited capacity theory, which suggests that, quoting from them, humans have a limited capacity for the cognitive processing of information. Because humans have finite resources available for learning, each simultaneous task theoretically reduces available cognitive resources and may decrease their potential capacity for learning. And this contrasts with the theory of threaded cognition, which suggests, quote, tasks that do not require the same form of cognitive processing, e.g. walking and talking, may not compete for the same resources, thereby allowing for the performance of two distinct tasks without inhibiting the success of either component. Now, this is not a study to say one of these theories is right, one of them is wrong. It's which one applies to driving and listening. The authors of this study took 100 emergency medicine residents and had them listen to an educational podcast, both driving and sitting undistracted in a room at home. Now, they were randomized to do one or the other first and then switch. So half of them listened first while driving and then listened to another program sitting undistracted in a room and vice versa for the other half. And within 30 minutes after each listening session, study participants took a test based on the content. What happened? There was no significant difference in recall whether driving or sitting, about 74% in each group. And here's something I think is even more fascinating. At one month, there was still no difference between the groups. No difference in recall at one month, whether you were driving or sitting and what order you did it in. So no difference in recall, which was about 50%. So at least per this study, getting your education or trying to learn while driving and maybe driving to work, seemed to be an effective strategy. 
at least as far as retention goes. The authors didn't report time of day or relation to driving to or from work or safety of driving and listening. It was just a very controlled single question. And listening back to this podcast and going through the data on this and, you know, like, wow, what's the best way to listen to this? How do you do it most efficiently or effectively? And we were talking about doing it at different speeds. And it got me thinking about silence and not listening to a podcast at all, which is weird because this is a podcast, right? Kind of encourage you to listen to this thing. But I want to speak for a moment in defense of silence, right? I mean, the conversation we just had, Josh and I, could be interpreted as how can we best pack in audio listening to each day? But I don't want the image you come away with from this episode to be that you should fill all of the interstitial cracks of time in your life with podcasts or whatever, because leaving those cracks open or free and silent has value. And you know that sitting in silence can have a rejuvenating effect or a calming or a stilling effect. You've experienced that. You're a human being. But the evidence on this, really interesting. And I'll admit that this was a rabbit hole that went on for a couple of days. <laughs> First, it was looking into the data on podcasts and then looking into the publications on silence. And one of the most famous studies on the effect of silence was published in 2006 in the journal Heart titled Cardiovascular, Cerebrovascular, and Respiratory Changes Induced by Different Types of Music in Musicians and Non-Musicians, The Importance of Silence. Now, study subjects were exposed to five different types of music of varying tempo and type. It went from really slow and chill, and actually, here's the track they use. Here's a slow and chill track. Very calming sitar. Well, fine, sitar calming. All the way up to a really fast tempo classical track. This one by Vivaldi. So those were the bookends and then variations in between. And the researchers found, quote, Passive listening to music accelerates breathing rate and increases blood pressure and heart rate. They also found signs of sympathetic activation, basically by measuring heart rate variability. That was, quote, proportional to the tempo and perhaps to the complexity of the rhythm. The music style or a person's music preference seems less important, end quote. They theorized that it was the level of concentration and attention that led to the arousal and sympathetic activation. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, in fact, if you're listening to this, chances are you very highly value concentration and attention. I mean, that is something they really try to cultivate and strengthen. But do you want it on all the time? And that brings up what I think is really the most striking part of the study. And here's what the authors say. Quote, a randomly inserted short pause of two minutes decreased blood pressure, minute ventilation, heart rate. This relaxation effect was even greater than that seen at the end of five minutes of quiet relaxation at baseline. Let me say that again. About that two-minute silent pause between music. This relaxation effect was even greater than that seen at the end of five minutes of quiet relaxation at baseline. 
So just inserting a few minutes of silence had a significant effect on relaxation, even more than listening to what is ostensibly relaxing music. And really interesting is that the effect of interspersed silence had an even greater relaxation impact than just baseline levels, giving importance to the contrast between listening and silence. And this ties into a previous conversation that we had actually with Josh on taking breaks. When you take a break and then, you know, you get into a spirited conversation or you're watching YouTube or you're, you know, watching some kind of video and you're getting all kinds of stimulation, that might not be as refreshing or relaxing as simple silence. And we know from functional MRI that listening to podcasts, and actually we'll have a reference for this in the show notes, listening to the Moth podcast, which is a story-based show, for a few hours lights up huge areas of the brain. You know, it's not just the listening area that we think of. The brain is rocking and a light like New York City on New Year's Eve. It's not necessarily a bad thing, not necessarily a good thing. It's just what is, right? Your brain is active and the tachometer is, is high on brain activity. And to that point, there was a 2013 study in mice found that two hours of silence per day led to neurogenesis, whereas background or ambient or white noise didn't, and neurogenesis being new nerve growth, which can be bad, can be good. In this case, this was new nerve growth in the hippocampus, which is associated with memory, learning, emotion, memory, learning, and emotion. So new growth there. And whether that was good or bad, they found that the new growth of cells was able to integrate and become functional, inferring that it was potentially good. This is, of course, not on humans, and it's a very controlled environment, but just gives further evidence to the benefit of silence. Now, I don't want this to sound like a polemic, because I love a good podcast or an audio book, but I felt compelled to give balance to our conversation on listening strategies with, hey, there's a choice to just shut it off for a while. And that is it for today. For complete and detailed show notes of this or any other episode, just go to our website, stimuluspodcast.com, where you can also sign up for our newsletter. You can subscribe to Stimulus and pretty much any podcatcher you use, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, whatever. There's so many of them out there that like the list would just go on for hours. And while you're there, throw down a review and rating. I read those reviews and more importantly, so do potential guests. Thanks in advance. Until the next time, be well and keep on rocking.